Hi, everybody. Alan Arnett here with another podcast on the blog on alanarnett.com. It is Sunday, May 22nd. And if it's Sunday, that means it's time for the Everest 2022 weekend update. Wow. All I can say is what a season. This thing just keeps on going and going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, it just doesn't know when to stop. Just when I think it's all over, you know, there's nobody else left and every team has, you know, left base camp and is already back home enjoying sleeping in their own bed and being with their family and pets. All of a sudden, another summit shows up. You know, it just keeps on going. And what's happening is, and it's just fascinating, is that this high pressure, which is just being devastating to northern India with this just temperatures in, in the, you know, plus 40 centigrade, 115, 130 range, is just, just, you know, taking lives all over the place in northern India and southern Nepal. But that high pressure that's causing that heat has pushed the uh, jet stream away off the summit. And it's given us basically an entire month of May that's been more or less suitable for summits. That's not to say there has not been times when the winds have picked up. For example, this past week, uh, the Alpine Ascents team, uh, normally they try to leave around oh, 10, 11 o'clock at night and summit around dawn. Well, this year, Ben Jones, their leader, uh, looked out the tent and it was just hailing or uh, snowing and just uh, the wind was going like crazy. So, you know, he kept checking every few hours and eventually it did calm down around 5 a.m., which is what time they left. And then they made a very swift trip up to the top and got there around 11 o'clock in the morning and they went back came back down to the south coal you know that's the sign of showing experience not having summit fever and pushing your team to go out in very difficult conditions but it's to be patient and take what the mountain will give you that's one of the things i've always learned in mountaineering is take what the mountain will give you and go as fast as your body will allow you you know there are some things you have control over and other things that you don't so you have to practice patience You've got to have experience. You've got to have trust. Um, you know, all those factors come into play. Uh, they were using human curated um, weather forecasts, not ones from the computer. So if you look at the computer models, they basically are showing the winds are under 30 miles an hour, which is the threshold for most safe climbing. However, the computer models are showing that the winds are picking up right now. It's May 22nd in Nepal. They're supposed to peak at around 45 to 50 on, um, I guess it would be on the 25th, which is Tuesday or Wednesday morning. And our team still targeting those days to go up this next week. So we'll see how the week plays out. You know, hopefully it uh, they do calm down uh, and the jet stays away. But, you know, we're getting close to June 1st, and that's the traditional time when the monsoons do begin to develop um, and the typhoons develop in the Bay of Bengal. And that's where everything begins just to fall apart. The icefall doctors announced today, uh, actually the Sagamatha Pollution Control Committee, the SPCC, uh, they announced that the icefall doctors will stop maintaining the route through the Kumbi icefall on May 29th. Now, what that means is that they'll go back up through the icefall and they will physically collect all of the ladders, all the ice screws, all the pickets, all the ropes uh, that attach to ladders, not the fixed rope per se. And they'll also go into the Western Coombe and remove those ladders as well. Every year, all those ladders are removed. They're taken down the Gorge Shep, put in storage. And then the ones that got all twisted and bent, they're disposed of, replaced with new ones. And then the whole thing starts all over again next year.
So we've got 10 months before Everest 2023. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. Um, but anyway, we still have climbers on the mountain. Uh, a couple of things to point out that happened uh, this week, which I found um, one happened today that I'll wrap up here at the end with. But in general, uh, as I said, Alpine Ascents, they got people up there. Mingma G's, imagine Nepal also did Elite Expeditions Pioneer Dream Himalaya. Um, if you go to my, on the blog, on the trek tracking table, you'll see who summited, uh, how many members, how many support, uh, and then the total. And right now, let's see what I'm actually saying. I'm guessing that there's around, oh, around 562 people have summited on the Nepal side. And that's broken down by 220 members supported by 343 Sherpas. So that's almost an exact one and a half support to every member ratio. Many, many teams had two two Sherpas with one member this year. And some of them had a slightly under that ratio. And then you had a, a couple of people that just climbed pretty much as clean as you possibly can on Everest. One in particular that stood out, uh, summited, I guess it was yesterday morning, or yes, uh, Friday morning, the 21st. I get my days mixed up. Um, being over here in the US and you know doing the time changes and all that, I've got all my little cheat sheets up here, but still, you know me, I get it confused. Anyway, David Gutler, um, Gottler, he summited, uh, he climbed without using supplemental oxygen, carried all his own kit. You know, that means his stove, fuel, food, tents, sleeping bag, layers, everything. Carried it all on his back. He went up and down multiple times. I think he even tagged 8,000 meters, which is really what you're supposed to do. That's the protocol when you're climbing without using supplemental oxygen is to get your body completely acclimatized to 8,000 meters before you go up. Anyway, he made it up there. Um, you know, he did use the fixed ropes. He used the ladder. So I would call this a uh, unsupported climb, about as unsupported as you can get these days. Certainly not solo, uh, certainly not, um, you know, totally by himself because there were other humans on the mountain. But nonetheless, he did it. So good for him. Good for him. I know this was a goal he tried before, didn't make it. So congratulations to David for making that top. Um, let's see. Also, like kind of last week, just looking at um, everybody, uh, it was, you know, it, it was a pretty good week all in all. I mean, you know, a lot of teams put people up there uh, that had a lot of patience. Madison Mountaineering was one of them. Uh, Garrett got um, 11 members supported by 16 Sherpas. No, I'm sorry, uh, 13 members supported by 17 Sherpas on the top. Um, Lucas Frutenbach, you know, his team, uh, Frutenbach. Sorry, Lucas, I always mess up your name and everybody always yells at me about it. Anyway, Lucas, <laughs> he got 17 members with 27 Sherpas up on top. And the amazing thing about what that team did was they summited 16 days after leaving home. They have climbed at home using altitude tents. Uh, Lucas has a very sophisticated uh, formula that he uses. It's just not a matter of shipping a tent to a client and letting them, you know, figure out what they want to do. They really um, manage it and monitor it very closely. Once the whole team got to Nepal, they went to Mara Peak, I believe, and summited that 20,000 foot trekking peak. So as a result, they basically left base camp. They went to camp one, two, three, four, summit and back down. They didn't make any acclimatization rotations and they minimized uh, going through the ice fall down to only two trips, one up and one down. So, you know, pretty impressive by Lucas um, by this. Uh, he, he says, he tells me he thinks that the days of or the time of doing a two-month Everest climb is all behind us and that we'll never see that again, that more people will, will adopt what he's doing.
Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, he charges $100,000 for a trip. And so one of the reasons for that is they use extra oxygen. They have um, very highly qualified IFMGA gu uh, gu guides. Um, they have a higher ratio of support and all of that costs money. And if you talk to Adrian Bollinger, you know, he would say the same thing. That's the reason he charges about $85,000, whereas the median price this year was $49,500. So basically twice as much to cut out what would that be? Six weeks. Um, you know, for a lot of people, time is money. Uh, I'm not a particular big fan of this approach. And, and I've been very honest about this, both with Adrian and with Lucas. And they say, well, thanks for your input, Alan. <laughs> and they carry on. But basically, I think going in climbing in mountains is a time to renew. It's a time to connect with nature. It's not the time to rush. But, uh, you know, everybody has their own, their own priorities, their own style. And I'm certainly not going to be one that's going to say somebody shouldn't do that. I just think that, you know, wouldn't be for me if I was going to do it again. Um, today on, let's see, this is now um, Sunday, May 22nd. Um, something really, really, I think great happened. Uh, Norwegian Kristen Harla, H-A-R-I-L-A, Harla, Harila. Anyway, Christine, Kristen made the fastest ever linkage between the summit of Everest and the summit of Lhotse. She did it with uh, Pimba Sherpa's 8K expedition. She was climbing with two different Sherpas, um, climbing with Dawa, um, Dawa Sherpa and, um, ah, I don't have the other name. I got to put that up there on the blog. Anyway, she was climbing with two different Sherpas and uh, they summited Everest at 5.50 p.m. I'm sorry, they summited Everest at 8.45 a.m. So about, you know, about 8.45 in the morning. And then they went directly from there, all the way back down to the South Coal, back down to the Yellow Band, took a left-hand turn at the sign, and went up to the summit of Lhotse. And they got there at 5.50 a.m. So basically around nine hours, eight and a half, nine hours apart from the time they left the summit of Everest to the top of Lhotse. That's the fastest time ever by anybody, male or female. They did use supplemental oxygen, so it's not quite comparable if you didn't. Um, you know, but there's been other people that have done this linkage not using supplemental oxygen um, with similar, uh, with, you know, with other times it, and tons of people, close to a hundred that now have done it using supplemental oxygen. Uh, so, but she is on this quest to show that a female can summit all 14 of the 8,000 meter mountains in record time. And thus far this year, she's done Kanyachunga, Dalagiri, Annapurna, and now Everest and Lhotse. So that's one, two, three, four, five in roughly a month. She's now flying to Makalu to try to get her sixth. And then she'll go to Pakistan and we'll start working on those. And then she's going to need to come back. Uh, those five over there, um, Dala, um, uh, Nanga Parbat, Gasherbrom 1, Gasherbrom 2, Broad Peak, and of course K2. And then she's going to come back to Nepal and try to do uh, Choyoyu from the Nepal side. And this side has rarely been climbed. You know, we saw some attempts during the last winter of trying to pioneer a safe route up that. And Pimba, again, with 8K Expeditions, thinks that he can do it. And so she's going to go with him on that one. And then they're going to need to figure out how to get into China, into Tibet, to try to get number 14, which would be Shishapangma. And so Pimba tells me that he's going to have to lobby the Chinese government for an exception to their, uh, their travel and see if they can't get in. And, you know, knowing, knowing what's going on right now with all this stuff, I, I, my money would be on that she's going to get all 14 in, uh, in her record time. So, uh, again, looking forward, we've got a few more people out there running around. Um, 
So uh, Adriana Bronley, she needs to get to Lotsey. She's also on a, on a quest to get a record. And then there's a handful of other people that honestly, they're flying under the radar and they'll let us know what they do after they do it. And that's kind of refreshing in some ways, instead of, you know, trying to, you know, shout to the world, you're going to do this big, bold, audacious goal, which I love, by the way, I love seeing people with confidence that puts it out there. And then they let, they, they give everybody else permission to hold them accountable when they also hold themselves accountable for going after that goal. So they just don't give up. But there's also something to be said for people, you know, kind of keep it at low key. And once they've, they've done whatever they want to do, then if they want to share it with the world, that's up to them and they can. In any event, uh, all this has just been an incredible season. Again, sadly, there have been deaths this year. Uh, there's been um, you know two Sherpas who've died on Everest and one um, one member who died. There was a Sherpa over on Lhotse who died. And then uh, on the other 8,000 meter mountains, there's been deaths. Uh, but in general, this has been about as smooth of a season as you can get. I'm still working on my season summary. I'll probably get it out now uh, next week. Every time I think I'm ready to publish it, the new news breaks. So maybe I'll have to wait till the icefall doctors take the ladders down. Then I'll, then I'll know that nobody will go up there. <laughs> I've been fooled before on that one. A few years ago, somebody took a helicopter uh, after they took the ladders down up to Camp 2, and, um, and she summited with a slew of Sherpas. And I think that was um, listed as disputed in the Himalayan database because that's just not cricket, taking a helicopter up to Camp 2. You know, I think on all these mountains, you need to start from base camp, uh, including Lhotse. All right, enough of my rant. Uh, I'm off to do a little little hiking this afternoon myself. So everybody have a great uh, late May uh, weekend, and I will talk to you soon. Climb on. This is Alan, and remember, memories are everything. <laughs>